Well, now for one of my favorite communicators in all the world, and I think the great, one of the greatest mothers in all the world, is my wife, Carrie DeVries. Would you put your hands together? Welcome her today. Good morning. Well, the fact that we're all here this morning means that we've all survived. We've all survived either being a child of our parents or we've child, survived being a mother of our children. Either way, congratulations. Um, yeah, I have, I have 19, 19, 17 and 15 year old. And honestly, I'm just, you know, I said way back when they were one, you know, at this point, I just want to keep them alive. And I did that. So I consider that a big win for me today. Um, anyway, this morning I have a very unique message for you. Um, I, I bet no one has ever, um, presented something to you in this way. And I am hoping that it will help you understand yourself better, understand God's role in your life better, and that we will all be um, filled with hope and encouraged as we leave this morning. Our verse this morning, and then I'm going to pray, but our verse that's going to be our text through the whole thing, Genesis 1:27. so God created people in his own image. God patterned them after himself male and female, and hopefully what I'm sharing today will apply for guys too. Uh, he created them. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. Uh, thanks that we can all be here together. Thank you that you have kept us all alive through, um, all different circumstances. We ask that your will would be done as we talk and share this morning in Jesus name. Amen. There's a really famous psychology experiment, experiment about where they took kids that were about four years of age and they um, put them in a room and they put them with like an adult and the, the adult said, I'm going to be leaving this room and don't eat the marshmallow. Okay, I'm going to be back in about 15 minutes. Don't eat the marshmallow. When I come back, I will bring you two marshmallows. And so th- that happened. And so how many of you, uh, do you have any guesses about how many kids ate the marshmallow? That's a good guess. 70% actually ate the marshmallow. This study has been replicated many times with very consistent results. And what's interesting is this. Then they tracked those kids up to 40 years. And they found that the kids that didn't eat the marshmallow tended to get higher grades in school, scored higher on their SAT, stayed longer at their jobs. Very interesting. And the idea is, or what they think it is, is that even at that age of four, some kids had the ability to delay gratification and others didn't. And what was really interesting is how that was, that idea um, was pretty stable throughout the lifespan. So what they were like at the age of four, um, for a lot of people predicted what they were going to be like at the age of 44. So think of yourself and think of different things you did or liked or your personality when you were really young, like in elementary school or something like that. And I think, I mean, I have many things in my life like that that have been very consistent. For example, I've always been very curious about people. I've always asked a lot of questions. People that know me now, you know, it's an ongoing joke that I always have a question. I'm always curious about, about you. And I remember one time at church, I saw this lady that had a, what I thought was a pretty blouse. And I went right up to her. I'm like, that's a pretty blouse. How much did that cost? You know, where did you get it? Do you like it? Is it itchy? How often do you wash it? You know? And my mom was like, you know, tone this down a little bit. It was very embarrassing for my mom a lot of times because I would just ask socially inappropriate questions, um, to people, you know, wherever they were 
add. And I said, I've also tended to be kind of impulsive. I'm definitely more impulsive than Walt. Like, I'll be like, let's get a dog, you know? And four years later, we have a dog. We have to vacuum the house at least twice a day. And even then, it doesn't look like we even vacuum. I mean, there's hair all over. It's out of control. You know, and I was just because I was like, let's get a dog. I think that'd be a nice thing to do, you know, for the kids and everything. Impulsive decision. I did a half Ironman triathlon because I saw a poster in a in an athletic shoe store. And now I, I was buying shoes and I saw, oh, I was like, that'd be cool. I think I'll do that. I come home and Walt was like, what in the world? He's like, you don't know how to swim. We don't have a bike. I'm like, we'll figure it out. You know, I did it though. I have to say, and, um, but I'm also tenacious, I guess that's kind of been, um, consistent. So anyway, there's these things and you have the same things. You have the same things. Maybe you're shy. You've always been shy. You haven't really cared to talk to people, um, that might result in like being nervous about going to a small group or something like that because of your personality or, or you might be really outgoing and, you know, approaching cold call evangelism, you know, not a problem for you. You know, that's just your personality. You don't have to think twice about it. I've always been fascinated with the Bible's like direct teaching, like the gospels, like where Jesus says, do this, don't do this. You know, I really like that direct, you know, information. Just what am I supposed to do? What am I not supposed to do? You know, versus like revelation, you know, like pastor Mark and pastor Chris, like, and I'm just like, you know, I, I don't get the thing where two animals, you know, go together, you know, and create some kind of beast. And it's very unclear to me. And, you know, I don't like science fiction movies anyway. You know, it's like, I don't like Lord of the Rings. You know, I've never made it through one Lord of the Rings, which I know is just uh, ridiculous. I don't like Marvel um superhero movies, you know, it's just like, that's never going to happen. Come on. You know, even though like Marvel superhero movies, I think are some kind of rite of, of passage into America. And I think at customs, what they do is they make you sign off. Have you seen all of the Marvel comic movies? If you have, you can come into the country. You know, if you haven't, so sorry for you, you know, but so there's these things that some people have this instinct of liking things like that. And they might collect things and they're really into it and all that kind of stuff. So these things can carry over into our mothering style. Uh, what happens in terms of our desire to follow Jesus? If you have a, if you can delay your gratification a lot in your life and you can be really patient about praying for something, you know, or something like that. But if that's not like a thing, if you tend to be impatient, it's very hard to trust God when he doesn't seem to answer over a long period of time. These types of things can really impact even our, our spiritual journey and how we interpret those things. Um, and so if you're a logical thinker, you might like be really into, um, apologetics and everybody should be into apologetics. You know, you need to know all that stuff. If you're a Christian, part of your personality back, you know, that's what you like. That's what interests you. That's like a, your little niche in the body of Christ, that sort of thing. But you know, it ties over into motherhood. Like some mothers are like really good about you know, in advance that those outfits are on sale, you know, at the end of the season and they're going to fit my kids two years from now in the spring season, you know, and I've got it all timed out and that sort of thing. And, and then there's people like me that I take the leading of the Lord for buying school clothes based on when I get a Kohl's 30% coupon. When I get a Kohl's 30% coupon, I know it is God's will for me to go right then and get my kids their school clothes. You know what I'm saying? And, um, and if, if it's Kohl's cash back, all the better, you know? But anyway, so my kids will be like, my shoes are two sizes too small. I'm like, it's not God's will for you to get new shoes because I don't have a 30% Kohl's coupon. Okay. There's Sam came back this week from being at a friend's house and he's like, I went to this friend's house and they, you got to make like, uh, individual pizzas with whatever toppings you wanted. And then we cooked them in the pizza oven in the back yard. I was
was like, what in the world? I was like, when kids come to my house, it's like Little Caesars pizza or nothing, you know. And I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to pick it up. You know, you are on your own. And so um, there was this kid one time that came to our house and he's like, Miss Carrie, where's, where's the water? And I was like, the same place the water's at in every single person's house in the United States of America. So I said, I'm going to show you this one time. This is where the cups are. This is where the pantry is. This is the drawer that has the ice or whatever. And then you're on your own. Okay. Pick it up the first time. And if you don't pick it up, then when you are at my house, you might end up dehydrated in the corner of the basement because I'm not getting you water. You know, you got two legs. So anyway, that's, So, so we're all different. And sometimes some people, when their kids, you know, come over to the house or whatever, you like take really good care of them and make them cookies and stuff like that. And I think that's awesome. That's like your thing, you know, and, um, you should be proud of that. So what I say when the kids come over though, is that what I'm going to provide for you is that I will sleep really soundly so that if you make a lot of noise, I won't get mad at you. How about that? You know? So anyway, but what I want to do today is, like I said, something that might like be out of the box a little bit. What I want to do is I want to take a bird's eye overview of women in the Bible. And the same thing applies to guys. I could do the same thing on Father's Day, um, the same principle. But the uh, bird's eye view of a lot of women in the Bible, and we're going to look for patterns of what they're like and what their personalities are like and how God uses them. I'm going to go very fast because I have to go through a lot of them because then we're going to pile together and see how it all fits together. But what I want to do is I want to kind of modernize these women because a lot of times we just see these names, these abstract people, you know, or whatever. And it's very hard to, um, apply them to our life. Like, am I, am I like that person or am I like that person or whatever? So I'm going to do bird's eye view, uh, rapid fire going through a bunch of women in the Bible. And then I promise you I'll pull it all together at the last minute. Okay. So we're going to start at the beginning. Um, so we have Eve, of course. Eve has a mind of her own. It takes her about approximately a half a verse in the Bible, you know, four words or less for her to completely disobey God and ruin all of humanity, you know. So she didn't mess around. She got right down to business. And so, um, and she also, you know, she is not getting a mother of the year award because she had one son that murdered the other son and they didn't, you couldn't blame the environment. They had a great environment, right? They didn't have drugs. They didn't have like gangs. I mean, they had nothing and they still killed each other. So I think she must've done something to screw them up really quick. So anyway, and her personality is pretty consistent, um, throughout the course of how she's described in the Bible. Okay. This, these are my parents and this is, I'm just having her represent Noah's wife. Noah's wife does not have a name in the Bible. She never has a single word in the Bible, but she goes along basically with Noah. So she, Noah is doing some seriously bizarre things. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he's building stuff that's weird. Everybody in the community thinks he's like a weirdo or lost her mind. You don't have any record of Noah's wife saying, you stupid idiot, why are you doing that? Or anything like that, right? She's just quiet and she goes into the boat. 
And I don't have any idea why she did it. But she was probably a more passive personality. She was probably more comfortable just following what her husband did. My mom's the same way. I I think I was switched at birth because my mom is really quiet. And she just, like, follows my dad. And that's kind of been the dynamic of their relationship, their whole marriage. And they have a very happy marriage. And and that's kind of my mom's mom's personality, kind of like Noah's wife. All right. Then we have Moses' wife. um, And Moses in the Bible, okay, he was a leader at a very complex complicated time. He was a Jewish, but he was adopted by Egyptians. So that's already very confusing, you know, like in terms of processing that in your life. And then he married basically a ethnic dive, um, neutral woman, which ended up being extremely strategic in the process of what God had called Noah to do. Because Noah, I mean, Moses ended up having to go in between the Jews and the Egyptians, right? He's trying to negotiate peace. He's trying to negotiate getting those Jewish people out. And, um, and Zephora, she is like, she's not uh, looked at as either being Egyptian or Jewish. She's just Moses's wife. And she's raising her kid and her husband has a stressful job. And her husband is traveling all the time. And she's on her own, strong enough person to raise the kids and do her thing, right? And not screw up the purpose of Moses's life that God had asked him to do. And so it was this very strategic, um, partnership of the, with the biracial marriage in that situation. Um, so anyway, then there's what Sarah, Rachel or Rebecca and Rachel, they're like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, these major patriarchs in the Bible. They're like really important, but interestingly, like, and they're all rich and they were all like stuck up basically. And strong-willed and manipulative and do whatever it takes to get their way. I mean, they're like stealing inheritances. They got kids that are their favorite, kids that they don't like. I mean, it is a mess, you know. it's It could be a reality television station, you know, or um, television show. And so everybody thought they were the most beautiful, gorgeous. You know, Abraham is so lucky to have Sarah. I don't see it that way, but, you know, you can think what you want. But um, these guys, but interestingly, what they did, even though it was manipulative and and, and really um, unfair a lot of times. All was, all those things that they did ended up being really crucial to God's purposes on the earth because Isaac had to be born and he had to be the, the they had to have the right person, get the inheritance to pass it down and everything. So it's weird because even though they seem like, in my opinion, kind of shallow, even though they're very intelligent, um, they were instrumental in all of those things playing out um, in the earth. And it was pretty pretty important. Um, but they were all strong women and they were a handful. All right. Hagar then was the, um, kind of the employee or servant of that ended up getting pregnant because her, uh, Sarah, you know, made her get pregnant. See, this is what I mean about a reality television show. But the bottom line is, is that there is this ethnic divide. She's basically a nobody. And then, you know, the right, the white rich girl, so to speak, you know, is over there ruining her life. She has nothing to do with it. Things are completely out of her control. Think about her situation. There is nothing in that woman's control. That she, she, There's this divide. She's dealt an unfair hand. She didn't ask for it. And yet, um, and yet here's where she finds herself at, having to carry this major burden, essentially a single mother. Then you have Esther. Esther was um, considered, uh, she, well, first of all, she was 15 years old when she went into the king's court. Now think about your 15-year-old kids or somebody you know. And she's very pretty. 
um, uh, she had just become an adult. At that time, uh, girls began um, puberty at around the age of 14, and she was 15, so very, very young. And what happened was is she, she was probably more of a quiet personality, more of a shy personality. She didn't want to push herself, assert herself in the situation. So what she ended up having to do was really out of the box for her, um, for her personality. She had a ton of responsibility at a young age. How'd you like to be 15 or five years past by the time she had to approach the king? So she's 20 years old. How would you like the fate of an entire ethnic people group? Being on your shoulders, dependent on whether you can be bold enough to approach this guy that's 40 years older than you, you know, and the entire weight of the future of the Jewish people rested on this girl that was 15 years old when she got in a situation where she was separated her family. She didn't have her parents to say, mom, what should I do? Amazing. Rahab. Now, Rahab was like living in a, a unsaved environment. There's a lot of speculation about what she did, but, but regardless, somehow on the streets or whatever for about 40 years, what happens to her? She goes in and when I have these pictures up, try to imagine that this is the person that it really happened to, because this is, this is as close of, this is as close as I could come for the pictures. But anyway, what happened to her is, so she's in her house. She's lived maybe a worldly lifestyle for 40 years. These thugs in hoodies show up at her door and they say, we want to hide out in your house and we want you to help us escape because everybody's trying to kill us. She doesn't know these guys. She doesn't, she's not the same race as them or anything like that. And she has to make a split second decision, a split decision of what am I going to do? Am I going to let them in or am I not going to let them in? Am I going to help them or am I not going to help them? She has basically no time and has to make a split second decision. She makes her decision based on her gut, probably based on her, her life and her history where she thought that she could read men or, you know, read a situation. And she rested on her history and her ability to read people and made a gut decision that said, I'm going to let these guys in my house. Now, how many of us would let guys that we don't know that look like they're going to rob a bank, you know, into your house? And so that's what she did. You know what happened? If she, if she hadn't done that, the, the Jews or the Israelites would not have conquered Jericho, completely changing the course of history that's in that section of the Israelite history. Because this lady that was just street smart used her gut instinct and made a decision and followed her gut. That's what Rahab did. Abigail was this gal that her husband made this really bad decision. And she went, this girl, she was pretty, she was very intelligent. She went behind her husband's back in the middle of the night, negotiated a peace treaty with several hundred men that were planning to massacre the area the following day. And she decided, I need to do something about this. She goes in the night behind his back, goes to these guys and said, how about this deal? How about we work out this deal? So she's basically this peace negotiator for this situation and saves the slaughter of hundreds of men. Then we've got Deborah. She's this judge and she's a really powerful person in the Bible. But basically she is a very uh, strong take charge kind of person, which is never, never negatively. There's no negative implications for her being that way in the Bible. 
it's it's presented as a positive thing. Like it's a good thing Deborah stepped up and led, you know, the army because otherwise, you know, they would have been eaten alive. So she was, she didn't seem to be insecure in leading, but she wasn't aggressively seeking it either. So she was, but she was a very strong person, obviously, to be, you know, she led Israel for 40 years. So she obviously was doing something right. And she was telling about 10,000 troops what to do. So she was comfortable leading and bossing around 10,000 guys in um, 1100 BC. Okay, another, um, another, I'm just going to go as quick as I can. This is um, the widow that Elijah helped. She's a quiet, shy, poor a uh, single mom just trying to survive and she had to advocate for her son, go to somebody outside her box and ask for help. That was hard for Hagar. She was a, though probably a quiet, shy person that had to assert herself just like many single moms have to do today. This is, Mar- this is my daughter, actually, Anne. This is Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary was 12 to 15 years of age. My, my daughter's 15. So she's at the high end of the age that Mary was when she conceived Jesus. Now, just look at her face and think about a girl that age has to grow up really fast because she is going to be at the center of one of the most controversial and unbelievable events in human history. And it goes back to her saying, I'll guess I'll do it, angel. You know what I'm saying? She has no idea what she's in for. She's going to end up obviously seeing her son murdered, everybody hating him, you know, all that kind of ups and downs, like everything, every parent has. It's like, well, this could turn out good or this could turn out bad, you know? And it's like you just have to ride the roller coaster to find out which way it's going to go, you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. This is one thing about Mary that's interesting. She, I've done a whole sermon on Mary about how her, what I think her personality is like. I think she was, she was uh, anxious. I think she, um, anyway, and she got nervous, just like all moms get nervous. Where'd you go? I lost you in Walmart. You know, how come you went back to the electronic section when we needed to check out, you know, stuff like that. Mary had to deal with that just like all the rest of us. But, um, when, with the water turning to wine situation, Jesus basically said, or she said, Hey, Jesus, I want you to turn the water into wine. And Jesus was like, mom, I can't do it. God said, I can't do it. And she said, I don't care what God told you. Your mother said to turn water into wine. So you better turn the water into wine. What did Jesus do? He turned water into wine. Thank you very much. Okay. So anyway, Anyway, isn't that kind of interesting? Because Jesus was like, God told me that it's not my time. And Mary's like, I don't care. You know, it's like the other day, one of my kids are like, can I go to? No, I want to go with my friend. No, you know, it will be this right. No. So that's how it works out for me. Right. So that's what Mary did to Jesus at the time. So the moral of the story is listen to your mother. But look at this. Look at this. Um, and you think about instead of marrying an abstract person, Imagine if it were Anne and what she would then face in her life. All right, so here's just a few more. This is Mary of Bethany. She is, this is the one where Mary and Martha, Mary was like, she did not want to have to stay in the kitchen. It's like kids that say, I don't want to sit at the kids' table. I want to sit at the adult table because I want to listen to everything that's being said, right? 
That's the way Mary was. She's like, I don't want to be in the kitchen. I want to sit around the table and hear what Jesus is saying. And she had a lot of passion. She got mad at Jesus for not healing Lazarus in time and stuff like that. But she was a seriously hungry to learn and was an important part of Jesus's followers. Then we have Martha, which we all know about, and she was the one that was like the hard worker. She was always cleaning the house, cooking for people, you know, gift of hospitality. When we stayed with Emma for several weeks, our family, I don't believe I ever saw her sit down. She went right from cooking to sleeping. There was nothing in between. You know what I'm saying? Um, and that's the way, that's the way Martha was. And she was, um, she was very, very hardworking, very hospitable. And she was an important part. You know, somebody's got to cook, you know, somebody's got to do it. And some people are good at it and, and they should do it. And they bless people and they bless the kingdom with it. You know, it's a good thing that everybody wasn't married, right? Cause then they would have nothing to eat. It's cool how that worked out. Mary Magdalene, she's like, she came from a past of being tormented by demons. It would be like the equivalent of if you've had bondage in your life with addictions or mental illnesses, rape, depression, loss, something like that, like major, like, um, tormentation. She was single. She's mentioned more than any, uh, almost any apostles in the New Testament. So she is hardcore up there in terms of Jesus' inner circle, right? And she was like just hardcore intercessor, and she was a very intense person, and it was, it was presented as being a positive thing. Then we have Anna, just a few more. Uh, we have Anna. She was the widow. She basically, this is what happened. Her, her husband died at 25. She spent the next 50 years, 5-0, coming to the prayer room downstairs all day. Every day, all day, every day, all day for 50 years because of one promise that she would see the Messiah. Now, who thinks that Anna would have eaten the marshmallow? No way. There's no one that ate the marshmallow that could, that could, um, you know what I'm saying? That could wait for 50 years, coming to the prayer room all day, every day, praying and getting nothing. No words. No people saying you're awesome. You see what I'm saying? That's amazing. That's amazing that she did that. And then at about the age of, eight, of 84, she sees the baby Jesus and she said, I've just seen what I've been promised. And that was that. And that was good enough for her. Wow. Pilate's wife. Pilate's wife, basically, she had a husband that was very, like, prominent, very high-ranking, very important. People knew him in the community, stuff like that. She, that's the way her husband was. But she had, like, prophetic dreams. I put Ariki up there because Ariki does have prophetic dreams. Like, that's, like, one of her gifts or whatever. And she, this prophetic dream was so powerful that she actually came to her husband's work and not literally, she sent somebody. But the point is, is she basically came to his work and interrupted and said, don't do it. Don't do it. Now, did her husband listen to her? No. Does that, is that relevant to Pilate's wife in this story? Yes or no? No. No. Does the Bible say, um, Pilate's wife, you didn't do a good enough job convincing your husband to do the right thing. So I'm, I, it's your fault. Yes or no? Did Pilate's wife play her part in human history and God's kingdom according to what God asked her to do? Somebody say, come on. Okay, Priscilla and Aquila, these two are together all the time in the Bible. 
That's why I put Bibbim up there. When we came here 20 years ago, people were like, Bibbim up. I was like, what? And they're like, Bibbim up. Come to find out it's Bibbim and Bob. And you, it's like they're one word in the dictionary, okay? And, and so anyway, um, that's these two. Always doing ministry, always together. That's what Priscilla was. And Priscilla taught. She was an elder in the church. Very spiritual, very respected, very cool person. And uh, I think, yeah, finally, Lydia was a person in the New Testament that was actually Paul's first convert in essentially Europe. It was like the very top uh, northwest corner of Turkey. And Lydia was a businesswoman. She was wealthy. And she, um, and she became a convert. And what happened was, um, as soon as she became a convert, she continued through Europe, carrying that conversion experience and began to um, evangelize in Europe and was actually the first missionary in Europe. Now, what would have happened if Lydia's temperament had been like Noah's wife's temperament? What would happen? Do you think that Noah's wife would have aggressively entered into Europe to take the gospel there while running a business and making a lot of money? No. But this was Lydia's calling. This is what she was called to do. And she was obedient to that. Just like Noah's wife was obedient to that. What would happen if Noah's wife didn't go in the ark? I mean, that was a really important thing. So it's a good thing she didn't have somebody like arguing with her all the time. You know, like, uh, like who would have been like, uh, Sarah, Rachel and Rebecca, you know, that would have never worked out. So anyway, what I want to do, um, what I want to do now is to take those people and, um, and I want us to just, to just get a bird's eye view and I want you to think about yourself, but I want to take these 20 women that are based, they're not every woman in the Bible. They're just a, a sampling of a variety of women in the Bible that God used for his purposes. And I want to consolidate and I want you to notice some very interesting things about the patterns of women that God used in the Bible. First of all, um, there are a lot of single women. And if I were to guess, that would be pretty representative of single versus married women in our church. And so God used many single women and many married women in the Bible. And they were all very different temperaments, but both are highly represented. Half of the people, half of the women have kids mentioned that they have kids. Half of them, it's not mentioned. So either they didn't have kids or they, were, um, they weren't relevant to the story. Or they weren't a, certainly weren't a part of the story that is described in the Bible. So only half of the women had children that were a relevant part of the story. Now, the kids in the Bible that there are there, the green represents the kids' outcome being good. The gray out, um, section represents the kids turning out bad. And the other ones represent um, it wasn't related to the story, and so they didn't say how the kids turned out. But the point is, is these women in the Bible that did have kids, all of those women with children in the Bible that God used, the fact of what happened to their kids was not relevant to how God used them in their life. So it doesn't matter if they don't have kids. It didn't matter if they turned out bad, if they turned out good. Almost half of the women is not relevant to how God used them in the story in the Bible. All right. Overall personality of these women. Over half of them have a strong personality. 
Um, the gray portion is unknown. I can't, I couldn't deduce from the story whether they're strong or passive personality. And the orange is a passive personality. But you'll see a lot of the women used in the Bible were strong personality, which might rock some people's world. But he used passive women in the Bible too, which is very interesting. Personality consistent throughout the story. Three quarters of the women basically have the same story. They're like the story of Lydia. Lydia was the person she was. She was a business owner. She was intelligent. You know, she was a globetrotter, whatever. And then she got saved and she did the exact same thing. She was a business owner. She was wealthy. You know, she was a globetrotter. Same before and after her conversion. Very interesting. The only people that really changed big time I put as Mary, the mother of Jesus and Esther. Because I think they probably went in more timid and came out a lot stronger because of the situations that they were in, just really extenuating circumstances. But most of the women, Rachel, Sarah, Rebecca, Eve, I mean, and Noah's wife, I mean, base, almost everybody, the women basically have a stable temperament, just like probably most of the people in here have a stable temperament from before Christ, after Christ, what you're good at, that sort of thing. Okay, and personality was crucial to events. The vast majority of these stories, the personality of the woman is essential to the event of the story. Would someone that wasn't Noah's wife's personality likely to not say anything and get into a weird boat in the middle of the desert that everybody thinks is stupid? You know what I'm saying? Probably not. Her personality, it was, it was a good thing she was like the way she is, right? How about Anna? Was it a good thing she was the personality that she was so that she could go to the prayer meeting all day for 50 years? Seriously, right? That personality allowed her to have that delayed gratification, have that, um, that waiting. And I think a lot of people that are intercessors, in my opinion, have that temperament because it takes a lot of patience to intercede um, in the spirit because you don't see things right away. You don't necessarily see them. Same token, like strong people like Deborah. Hey, you know, she had to, she had to do what she had to do. And if she was, you know, really wimpy, she would have probably never been able to do that. You know what I'm saying? And, and, uh, the same for, for basically everyone in the Bible, uh, or all the women in the Bible. And it's very true of men as well. If you do this, um, study with men and look at how many women, their personality didn't matter to the story. Zero. Every story that I researched, the personality of the woman was a big part of God's ability to work through them for the part that he had planned for them to make in his history of humankind. It's remarkable. All of them. And there's very few that don't say anything about their personality, which is very, very interesting. Here's the final thing. Personality presented in a negative way, both strong and passive. The only, um, there are two people I wrote it down that have their personality presented in a negative way. And that was Eve and it was Martha for the working hard person. They, their personality was presented of like, you need to be different, but every other person, rich, poor, single mom, married, big family, country of origin, um, education level, smart, pretty, not pretty. You know what I'm saying? Every other person, no matter what their personality, what their background, none of it is presented in a negative way, except for those two people. Wow. My question to you, and if the worship team could come, 
My question to you is, do you get the impression that God tried to change the personality of these women when he used them? Regardless if they were shy, passive, strong, assertive. They had to accomplish different things in the Bible, in the story, you know, in God's story. There are a lot of single women, single moms, different personalities, but their personality had to be surrendered to God. And they did what God had planned to do through them at crucial times. So they basically surrendered their, um, their personality or who God made them to be. The Bible says, as we read, that God made us in his image. He formed us. He put us together. So if you are loud and rowdy and whatever, God must have designed that because of his purpose through you, the kingdom on the earth. And instead what we do is we spend all this time ruminating, feeling guilty, feeling insecure. I wish I were smarter. I wish I were prettier. I wish I were, you know, more consistent. I wish I was married. I wish my kids didn't misbehave. I wish, you see what I'm saying? We spend all this time ruminating over all these shortcomings we feel in our lives and the way God made us. Instead of saying, God created me this way, I'm going to submit me in his image to him to accomplish his purposes on the earth. My personality is not going to, you know, vacuum the dog hair, you know, three times a day, you know, and that's why I get my kids to do it. But that's a whole nother story. Um, but that's not like if I had to do that, I'd lose my mind. Some people, I know several of them. I've been to their houses. They like vacuum the house all the time. That's really important to them. They have, and I really think that's wonderful and awesome. You know, I've, my purpose of what God has called me to do is what I'm doing. It's being in a secular environment, um, trying to use my mind and the, um, the Holy Spirit inside me to influence unbelievers. And that's where he's called me. And in that, instead of um, me saying, oh, I, I wish that I didn't, you know, I wish that I made homemade pizzas for the kids and baked them in a pizza oven in the backyard... I say, what God has designed me to do, I'm modeling to my kids perseverance. I'm modeling to them the value of education. I'm modeling to them the value of going to church even when you're very busy. I'm, you know, the commitment. I'm, I'm modeling to them supporting the husband. I'm modeling to them, you know, listening and talking. And what's going on inside of them is more important to me than, you know, their outfit or something like that. But some women, their outfit is important and I'm totally fine with that. But I'm saying, I have to begin to understand that um, I have to begin to understand that God created me with my personality and rather instead of condemning myself full of guilt, condemnation, I'm not nice enough, I'm not sweet enough, I'm not submissive enough, I'm not, you know what I'm saying, um, I'm, I don't give my kids enough time enough, blah, 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 blah. Instead of that, I say, God, here I am. This is who you created to me, me to be. Do what you want. Do what you want. I'll go to Turkey. I'll, I'll, you know, make a backward deal. I'll use a gut instinct. When I see somebody, I'll use a gut instinct. Now, I grew up in the city, and I feel like I have a pretty decent gut instinct. And I'll say, I'll use that gut instinct to say, I need to talk to them, or I need to call 911. You know what I'm saying? So how did God made you? When you think about your personality, you think about those different things on the screen. Who are you? Where are you following that? What person are you most like? 
And, and, and what we're going to do is we're going to, just so everybody will stand up, we're going to sing a song. And as we do that, we're going to first thank God. You can stand. We're first going to thank God before we do anything else, before we ask God anything. We're going to thank God for making you who he made you to be. I want you to begin to thank God. You guys can start singing in a second. I want you to begin thanking God, and I want you in your mind be naming, name by name, things that you haven't liked about you in the past. You think that's a hindrance. You think that I'm too bossy. I think I'm whatever. And I want you to start naming those things by name and say, God, I submit this to your kingdom purposes. I commit this about myself, this way I've been my whole life. I commit this to you and your kingdom purposes. Thank you for making me this way. Thank you for making me bossy. Thank you for making me shy. Thank you for making me a wallflower. Thank you for making me a a force to be reckoned with in the business environment. Thank you for making me smart. Thank you for making me a good mom that's really nurturing. Guys, thank you for making me a hard worker. Thank you for giving me a priority of spending time with my kids. Thank you that I know how to fix things. Thank you I know how to make a good deal. Thank you that you're giving me creativity and ways to make money on Craigslist or whatever. God, thank you that you're helping me learn how to provide for my family. Thank you that it doesn't matter what my parents' personalities are. Thank you that it depends on who you created me to be. Just begin thanking God. Your veins, the way he made. 